What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery scratcher, Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. 
Hurry before they're all gone. Week 17, uh, big game against the Browns. So we're going to look back at the 26-24 to 24 victory over the Cleveland Browns in Baltimore this weekend. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's great, Josh. How about you? I'm doing all right. See, I learned that scoring thing. You like the winners first. I got it right this Very time, good. I think. Very good. So uh, a lot was made going into this game about packing the stadium. And as far as I could tell on TV, I kind of gave in at the end of our show that I'm a hypocrite and I like to watch the games at home. But So from what I could tell from the TV, it looks like a lot of fans – jumped on that and went and filled up the bank yeah it was it was a very full stadium and it was the loudest it's been in a long time fans were into it on a play-by-play basis uh they were just very involved there's a lot to cheer for there's cool stuff going on on the sidelines you have the 58 colts you had a few people be getting introduced like Suggs playing his 229th game or talking about brandon carr and his charitable work uh we didn't see anything any tribute to Joe Flacco, and I'm glad because they're home again. They're home again in a week. Oh, that's true. the The ultimate tribute to Flacco, they they really kind of passed up on. And I I did want to mention this is that with the ball third and goal on the one yard line, third and third and one from the one yard line, the the optimal play is going to be a quarterback sneak there to get the ball in, and you actually would have two chances to do it. Now Lamar Jackson has proved completely ineffective at sneaking the ball this year, and Yep. On counter to that, I mean, Joe has been, that's one of the things he does extraordinarily well. Yes. It would have been an ideal time to get him in the game, put the Ravens up 27 to 7 at that point, put the game away. Unfortunately, they didn't do it. And and I realize that I'm not, I'm actually not saying it's a bad play because of the result. Uh, you know, that result was, was slightly more likely with somebody like Jackson in there who's a fumbler and has, has certain other risks. But he's just a bad quarterback sneaker. And Flacco is excellent. So, at it, and, and they had the wrong guy in the game. Ken, I don't think you're allowed to say that. I don't think we're allowed to say that Joe is better at anything than Lamar. Well, there's, there's certainly a group of fans. But, you know, we went through an earlier period this year where Lamar was replacing Joe in situations yes. where Lamar is going to be more effective. Third and two, three, four. An ideal opportunity to use Lamar's legs to run for a first down, et cetera, et cetera. Right. We certainly have to be able to accept that Joe can now come in and run an occasional QB sneak for the Ravens. And after hearing Harbaugh talk at length about how this is the greatest team he's ever been around in 34 years of football, I can't believe there's anyone in the locker room who would have a problem with it. I think it's all fans. I think it's all the fans who are, oh, what, are you taking away Lamar's opportunities? Or, you know, it, why is Joe Flacco still part of the discussion? Or, you know, give it a rest. It is. It is all fans. You don't hear yeah. it in the locker room. And that's because part of that is winning, but it's also, it's, it's fans. And uh, fans need something to argue with, even when we just won the AFC North. There you go. So the so Ravens are in. Very excited about that. Uh, not as excited about the playoff scheduling, as you may have read earlier. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get into that. But as fans, and we're going to nitpick through the game, and we're going to talk about some negative things in the game. But we do have to walk away with the fact that uh, two months ago, we were talking about a 4-5 and five team, and we were talking about firing John Harbaugh and the other coaching staff and uh, letting Lamar play because these games are meaningless. And here we are now. We won the AFC North. The Raven fans need to take a moment and be proud of what this football team did. Yeah, proud, very excited. It's obviously is a 
it was a complete change of philosophy to do what they've done in the last seven weeks now. Absolutely, it is Harbaugh's greatest accomplishment as a coach and the staff in general being able to uh, accomplish this. You know, one person who deserves a lot of credit, uh, there's multiple people here, but but Marty Morningway deserves a lot of credit for designing an offense that works for Lamar Jackson. Right. There's still a lot of hatred out there for Marty, but you got to give him credit. As much as we want to give John Harbaugh credit for flipping this team around, Marty had a huge part of that as well. That's right. That's right. So there's a lot of issues. I mean, there was divisiveness over the decision. There are probably people in the locker room who weren't sure it was the right choice originally. There's certainly people in the fan base who didn't. And I think Harbaugh's job in large part was to win them over or talk, you know, in no uncertain terms about how the how the team was going to move forward and, you know, when it was appropriate to talk about using them both still for a while because, right. hey, that's what they were doing. And it still seemed like it would be appropriate when Joe came back from his injury. And it didn't honestly turn out to be necessary, except at the one-yard line like, you know, yesterday. But right. it did not appear that it was going to be necessary. And then the coaches, they devised the optimal schemes to take advantage of the fact that Lamar Jackson just brings an element you, you no team has really had for quite some time now. No, and that's part of that is the balance of the players. And for John Harbaugh, keeping the wide receivers happy – with a running quarterback. We saw uh, Antonio Brown not play on Sunday because he got pissed yeah. off in practice this week. Yeah. So to be able to keep everyone, I know winning heals everything you say, but still winning when you feel left out, like you're not making a contribution is hard and difficult, especially on diva wide receivers. So somehow the Ravens coaching staff has made this work with this team. Right. Michael Crabtree and John Brown both lost bonuses yesterday because they didn't reach their catch targets. Crabtree needed six catches. That probably wasn't going to happen. Nobody thought it would. I think Brown might have fallen two catches short, but I'm not exactly sure of the number. In any case, both of them lost an opportunity to make a little more money. I'm sure they're right. not happy with it Well, they, they should in call, some mild way. They should call Nick Foles, who was four snaps away, because he got went out a little hurt yesterday Did and missed his that. bonus. Very interesting. So It happens every year. Weddle missed his bonus uh, last year. They got it this year. Sure, but he got it this year, yep. All right, so all right, let's get into this playoff scheduling. Because when I first heard the schedule, I said, okay, that's great. We're not we're Sunday. We don't have to have the short week. We have the 1 o'clock game, so you would think that hurts the Chargers. It definitely hurts the Charger fans who got to wake up a little earlier in the morning. But you're saying it's not. Uh, it's still not good. Yeah, it's not as good as it could have been for the Ravens. You, you know, uh, there's a the golden rule is on wild card weekend if you're the home team you want to play the shortest possible week so you want to play the Saturday 1 p.m. game if you can if there is one or you want to play Saturday 3:30 but you want to play Saturday and that would have forced the Chargers to come across the country it would have forced the Chargers to uh, play on short rest much as the Ravens did well, on the like, road this all sounds familiar. Yes, which is a lot of very the league very much did not give the Ravens reciprocal treatment treatment for the absolutely awful piece of scheduling in week 16. I'm just a, a completely unfair six versus nine days of preparation for one of the most important games of the year. That effectively was the Ravens first playoff game. It also was the, the Chargers chance to lock up the number one seed or right. win the number one seed at that point. And, you know, they're, they'd be having no complaints and, and hoping the chiefs would be getting the lousy treatment if, if they were the ones with the, with the number one seed right now. Uh, but anyway, they, they did not get it done despite an excellent opportunity. And there's just no reason why the NFL should not have reciprocated for the Ravens in this rematch in the same playoffs 
and given them a chance to, um, uh, you know, have an advantage over the Chargers. If any team deserved to have to play early, it was the freaking Chargers after they got the scheduling advantage in Week 16. So, you know, the Colts will have to play early on the road at the Texans. That's not really fair either. I'm sure they do not want it. But uh, it's a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a schedule that made more sense. If you want to lean on the argument that it makes sense for the Chargers to be playing a 12-30 game out west, well, okay, then I can accept it on that basis. But my, my truth of the matter is I want the Chargers to be on a short week, and then I want the Ravens, assuming they win the game, to have the longest possible time to prepare right. for Kansas City which is going to be a tough enough game on the following Saturday. So the Ravens got the worst of, of everything. They got the Sunday game, and then they have potentially have to go to the Chiefs on Saturday or the Patriots on Sunday. Yeah, and I I cannot wait for Sunday because as much as I look, I look at this Raven team and it seems like they can stay in any game, this whole concept of, of we just saw the Chargers a week ago and now we're going to see them in a week mm-hmm. is – totally intriguing and i feel like if you can get past the chargers in that first round then you might be able to beat anyone in this playoff in these playoffs yeah i i would agree with that i mean it may be that the chiefs are the hardest matchup for them i i, I think i really believe that the chargers and the patriots both have kind of immobile older quarterbacks yes. the ravens really get after it and i think they've got a good chance to take care of either one of those frankly even on the road but, but the chiefs scare me more yeah the chiefs um, is the bigger test for our defense and, yeah. and they came so close in Kansas City that right. to then go back. Though, I mean, that game would be in Kansas City as well. So to have yes. to go back there and do it again and hopefully get that fourth down stop is is going to be a tough game as well. What are the playoff odds for the Ravens going in? Do you know? Yes. So I, I took a look at this. I go out and I find the best line out there on Odds Checker, and then I convert that to a percentage chance to win by taking out the VIG. So that's what I did today, and uh, uh, let's see if I can find my notes on this really quick. Okay, here we go. From top to bottom, and this is from one seed to six seed, Kansas City, the the gamblers are saying now they have a 38.4% chance to win the AFC. All right, that seems a little low to me. All right, well, let's let's hear them all, and then you can can make your selection from only six. New England, 28.5%. Houston, 6.7%, despite the fact they're playing at home this next week. Yeah, but Andrew Luck's on fire. There you go. Baltimore, 10.5%. They're the third favorite. Right. The Chargers, 10%. And Indianapolis, 5.9%. All right. So Houston has a higher percentage than the Colts. Mm-hmm. So they're thinking, uh, they're basically thinking no one can get past the, uh, the Chargers or the Patriots. And the Patriots are not that good this year, but they're respecting the Patriots kind of team at, from history. Yeah, they're respecting the Patriots. Houston would have to go to New England to play. If they win their game, uh, Indianapolis would have to go to Kansas City to play if they win their game. So it could be that what you're seeing there is that is the difference between Kansas City and New England. People probably like the Chiefs a little better through this playoffs. And, uh, you know, that that gotcha. that means that that's Houston has a little bit tougher road. That's how the odds are working out. I, that makes sense. Um, yeah. But yeah, Chargers, Kansas City, those are the two teams that scare me maybe a little bit in this so right the Ravens will have to have their work cut out for them to get past this. There you go. So, all right, uh, let's look at the game. The the it was a stressful game, and I think we need to stick start right at the end of the game at the highest point of stress with this uh, four down stand at the end, where even Weddle in the post game was talking about 
how he was like he never saw this before where they went with this uh zero coverage right so let's let's set this up a little bit because you know it sometimes helps to really get the background first of all what you hope to do in this situation is control the football and they've done that with a lot of the lamar time in terms of controlling the ball till the end of the game or till it was too late for the opposition to do anything about it. So they, they had the ball left with, what, three minutes and change left, and they uh, ran the clock down a fair amount down to, down to the two-minute warning. Then they ran a third down play. They didn't convert. They had to punt the ball away. I really thought that third and five opportunity they had was probably going to end up being the ball game. It fortunately didn't because once you punt that ball away, you give any competent quarterback, and Mayfield certainly meets that description – four downs to get about 30 yards, you're in a lot of trouble. And right. they, that, that's really all they needed in that situation. It was just very easy, you know, a, a pretty easy set of pitches and catches they needed to make. So anyway, the other part of that, of, of the setup for this is that the Ravens had problems all day long with their safeties not being in the right place. Now, some of that is on the safeties for not playing well. I don't think Jefferson had a particularly good game. I don't think Weddle had a particularly good game in terms of being on the right place on the back end. The other part of it is that the Browns have an extremely good set of fast receivers, and I'm including Brashad Perriman in that as Come much on. as it We said we do. would never talk about that guy again yes. on this podcast. <laughs> we shall never mention him I again. can't believe he's in the NFL and making touchdowns. And good. And right. He's, yeah, I mean, he just, he's catching he just the did ball. two things in this game. First of all, he ran right by a receiver for a touchdown. And, that, and then he also caught that tiptoe pass on the sideline. So it's, I can't even imagine what was getting thrown at your TV set, Josh. Yeah, it was and, irritating. Tell Mandy she's got to clean that milkshake off the screen. I'm sure right. whatever it is. So uh, anyway, a, 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 certainly the, the Ravens were getting beat by these multiple vertical routes that Cleveland was running, and so Mayfield did a lot of things. He manipulates the safety sometimes to make him think the the, the ball is going somewhere else. But even in other cases, he just has two uh, two opportunities for a good throw. The safety eventually has to make a choice, and then Mayfield throws to the other, and he had good success with that as well. So an awful lot of plays were behind the defense in this game in a scary way. And obviously the very big one was the 93-yard helmet doink to um, Landry that would have changed the nature of that game very considerably, obviously, if it had been 20-14 to 14 before halftime and he'd, he'd converted that. So anyway, we, we go into this final stand, and basically safeties have not played any significant part in the game because of, of what they did. They, no significant part on the back end, let's say that. And right. Martindale did what he's done all season. He made great adjustments to try and set this set this up properly. So the Ravens on those four plays, they rush seven, six, six, and six. They have no safety back. Uh, you may as well bring your guys up and cover a tight end or cover a running back or do whatever you can with safeties in man coverage or rush the passer if they can't do anything on the back end and force at least Mayfield to deliver the ball quickly. And that's exactly what the Ravens did on those four plays. They, they actually got pressure once where he was forced to, to, to get out quickly. They, they forced the ball out quickly twice when appeared pressure would develop, but it was before it actually did. And a fourth time, amazingly, they, they gave up ample time and space despite a six-man rush, and that was incomplete on the left sideline when Jimmy Smith run through, ran through the play. So a, a great set of four downs. All four plays were passes defensed. The guy who can't be forgotten in this is Anthony Levine because he had two of the four passes defensed. He covered Najoku on the right sidelines got his hand up normally when when a when a cover guy has his back turned to the quarterback it's almost an automatic pass interference call but he waited did not make any premature contact played the hands of Njoku 
got his hand in the middle, knocked the ball away, and then he did something which I thought he might have been flagged for, which is he pushed Njoku down out of bounds. Really shouldn't have done that. That could have been a 15-yard yes. penalty. Fortunately, it wasn't called. But that was first down. Then second down came, and the second down play was, let's see, that was the play to the left sideline, ample time and space on the play despite a six-man rush. They threw, or Mayfield threw left. The ball was a little bit off target. Jimmy Smith drove right through the receiver, made sure that ball wasn't collected. Second PD brings up third and 10. Anyway, now by now, it's obvious to the Browns what they're trying to do. So the Browns tried a, a really their first of two slants in a row, the first one to Njoku. And on this play, it was really more of a square in. Um, he noticed, or, uh, sorry, Levine was on him again in man coverage. And he, in this time, had his quarterback, had his eyes right on the quarterback. And as the ball was delivered, he clubbed through with the right hand, dislodged that football. You can't really tell until you see it from the reverse angle, but you can't really tell from the, the, the initial broadcast video, at, at least. But outstanding coverage play by Levine. We're lucky to have a dime who can do that in the, in the box. And uh, uh, it prevented probably a first down on that play, but it certainly prevented a much more manageable fourth down or shorter kick, either one. So a uh, very big play there, and, uh, and he got the job done on third down. And then, of course, fourth down, a couple things happened. Uh, so Judon Rust unblocked off the left edge. And it appeared, and, and it was mentioned to me today, that, that the left tackle down blocked, which means he blocked to the inside in order to, or, you know, possibly incorrectly. I don't think that's the case. I think that was intentional because they were – trying to set up a slant to the left side to Landry. So they, they, they wanted to clear the defensive tackle from getting his hands up to block the pass that Mayfield was going to throw. And he did a good job of that. Mayfield was ready to accept the hit. The ball appeared to be right on target, but the one guy they didn't account for was C.J. Mosley, who obviously was reading the quarterback, dropped off of his own pass rush, got his hands up, not only tipped the ball to, to, to win the game, but also collected it for the interception and sent the crowd home a while. And, and, and tried to get up and run with the ball. That was, Which was, that crazy. was scary. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but he wasn't letting that ball go. Not no. For no, so. no. Uh, it seemed like a fitting end to the game and, and for it to come down to the defense. And because the big thing, while all the attention has been on this Ravens uh, team has flipped the switch with Lamar Jackson – the defense has really been what's been carrying this team and stepping it up. Oh, very and, much. And a lot of that is, and all that, in fact, I'll even give my, my start of the game for this week, that when we get to that, it's Martindale. Because every week he is calling plays and you're seeing them do, do new things that are affecting and winning the game for them. Which one makes me wonder, today, as we record, there are now eight head coaching op openings in the NFL. Martindale's going to get some phone calls, right? I, I mean, I guess he probably gets an interview this time around. It, it's He's a one-year defensive coordinator. It would actually kind of surprise me if he got one of these jobs. Uh, and I'm not saying it's it's incorrect. I think he's a great defensive coordinator who has a chance to build a legacy for himself that is something really special. And maybe I'd coach one day. I mean, this, uh, he's, this team, this defense is not a defense full of stars. No, that's, that's true. It's so very he, much a, a scheme-based, adjustment-based defense. Yes. Which which makes it even more impressive with Martindale. Yes, sir. Completely agree. So, I mean, yeah. the, the, I, if the Ravens go deeper, that helps you keep him longer because he's not out there for interviews. But I would think he gets some phone calls. And how does that work? Do the Ravens have to grant permission to him? 
I think during the, while they're still in the playoffs, I believe yes, but I think I think pretty much it's always done. It'd be a matter of the only question would be was whether, you know, when they would allow that to occur because the Ravens obviously have a short week to deal yeah, with. They won't allow. Day. Yeah, he'll have to wait till after the playoffs or after they're knocked out. After, maybe they're after they're knocked out, or at least he has to he maybe has to do it on a Monday, at you know, some particular right. schedule. So I I know they have allowed it in the past and. In particular, they've done it for some executives who are looking uh, before the season is over. Well, exe- executives, I think, have a little bit more free time. I don't want Martindale spending a couple hours doing an interview when he could be watching game film on the Chargers. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, all right, let's get to uh, the, the pass rush. And it seemed like Judon and guys were really getting in on there. How did ample time and space look? Okay, so this obviously this was not a really great game for the Ravens' pass rush, okay. and and for, for multiple reasons. But they they accomplished something even though they didn't really generate much in the way of pressure events. So I'm going to break this down two ways. I think there's two things. The first thing we'll talk about is ample time and space, as you mentioned. They gave uh, 19 out of 42 ample time and space opportunities to Mayfield. On those plays, Mayfield threw for 281 yards, one TD, one interception. That was that was knocked away at the line of scrimmage. I sorry, knocked away in the secondary, and 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 caught by Jimmy Smith. And then they that was 14.8 yards per play on those 19 plays. But if you include the Njoku, sorry, not the Njoku, the Landry helmet doink, it would have been 374 yards on those 19 plays, almost 20 yards per play. So it's a, it was very much a uh, with ample time and space. Mayfield completely shredded the Ravens' defense with vertical routes. So I, there's no there's no simple way to put it. This was a very bad thing. It's the kind of thing that I think other teams may look at and say, hey, maybe that's the way we need to beat the Ravens. Well, it's something it's, you, you've got to look at and see why is it that the that uh, Mahomes and uh, Mayfield are putting up these 400-yard games against the Ravens and no one else is. Well, there you go. And that's that's a that's a really good point. I mean, even, even with Mayfield and Mahomes, they held them to – numbers that are not that impressive in total so i mean mayfield did throw for nine yards per throw but he also had a lot of high variance plays in there a lot of incomplete passes he had, he had a quarterback rating i think of 79 for the game and obviously he had three interceptions how many attempts so, did he have 42 all right because they kind of gave up on the run at one point yeah they did they the, the ravens were very effective stopping the run and you know obviously the game situation dictated in the fourth quarter that the the browns needed a pass on the last two or three drives yep. at least. And, you that, know, that's an that, interesting, interesting that's point they we make. They weren't running in the ball. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the, the let, let's go, let's continue with the pass rush yes. for a little bit, though, because I want to make the rest of the point. So ample time space then has really two complements to it. So the, the, the other passes that make up the total. So there, there are um, pressure events, and there's also ball out quick. So ball out quick is the one that's kind of in the middle. When, when, he, had to, when he threw the ball quickly before pressure developed, 13 plays, 40 yards. One TD, 3.1 yards per pass. Not impressive at yes. all, obviously. And then with actual pressure events, there were only 10 of those in the whole game for the Ravens. 55 yards, one TD, two interceptions. So that's excellent for the Ravens as well. I, I, the problem is they didn't get nearly enough pressure based on the numbers that they sent, right. which is the other way I want to look at this because I've never seen anything like this in terms of the numbers they sent. So they sent a bunch of guys but didn't get the pressure. They, they sent a bunch of guys, they didn't get the pressure, but counterintuitively, they did get the results. Now, let's talk about this for a moment. When they sent three, they had a three-man pass rush, one play, 38 yards. 
when they sent a four-man pass rush, 19 plays, 258 yards. That's 13.6 per play. And again, that's where the helmet doink is. So you could add another right. 93 to that, and they'd be up almost 20 yards a play. With five men rushing the it, 15 times they rushed five, 5.3 yards per play, one turnover, one interception. Very, very respectable, very good for the Ravens in that. And then when the Ravens rushed six or seven in this game, which they did a total of seven times, they allowed zero completions, had five passes defense, and two of those were interceptions. So they didn't get any pressures on those. I'm sorry, that's not entirely true. They didn't they didn't get any uh, sacks on those anyway, but they, they certain, sure as hell got effective forcing of Mayfield to throw the ball quickly on those plays and, and no completions when you don't end up with uh, you know, any real uh, good pass rush events there is is uh, very impressive. So very surprising and counterintuitive results in that. And I encourage you, if you can't follow the tabular data, please go out to the article online. It's it's much more more clear to look at this in the table, just how stark this is, what what exactly happened. Yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's weird and it's crazy, but you know what? This defense surprises you every week, so... It makes sense. And um, as you were saying earlier, they have outstanding wide receivers. Did that mm-hmm. affect our uh, pass rush? Do you think we held back a little anything because of that? Or I, I think you actually kind of have to not hold back. And the okay. reason is that if you allow Mayfield to sit in the pocket, their fast receivers will eventually outrace your defensive backs because, I mean, they're just faster. Right. Perriman in particular is a lot faster than anybody the Ravens have on the back end. So what that means is basically you need to you need to force him to throw the ball quickly, which they did with numbers, and just admit to yourself that your safeties on the back end are going to be of limited usefulness, and you really need to get your uh, your man coverage. You need to press. You need to make sure those guys have trouble getting off the line of scrimmage, disrupt the route, get in there quickly enough that it's hard for Mayfield to make those completions when he does. He's trying to throw short. I think also Mayfield's height played a role in this. He's not a he's not a tall guy. He's six feet, whatever. And you know he, he's a guy that definitely I think it's going to be challenged vertically his entire career. And when I say vertically, obviously I mean in terms of his own height, not in terms of the vertical routes. And uh, and there are going to be a lot of batted passes at the line of scrimmage because of that. So teams are going to look to to jam his passing lanes and make it difficult for him to do that. In addition to forcing him to get rid of that ball quickly. All right, now that's something Lamar Jackson's short as well. So that's something that maybe with the NFL changing, I don't know if you approach that or if this, the change in the running game helps out with that. Uh, yeah, Mayfield and, and Jackson each have some mobility. Jackson obviously much more. Um, I think May, one of the things about Mayfield is that he's probably a little less likely to, to roll outside the pocket and run around for a long time to extend a play than Jackson is. Uh, he did some of that in this game, and and I don't I don't mean to trivialize who he is as a runner, but I just don't believe he's Lamar Jackson in terms of extending plays and being able to outrace most of the other defenders on the field. Yeah, and we'll get to that in the offense. That Lamar showed off his speed once again this week. Mm-hmm. Um, why did the safety struggle so much? Is it just the, well, is it just straight speed of the wide receivers or? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to break that down exactly without the All-22, and that'll be out tonight at midnight. Gotcha. So I'm really interested to see that. I, just see what the safeties were biting on play after play that people kept running by our, our corners and there's nobody back there to help. So I, I, obviously something was going on. You know, Mayfield was either effective at, at looking them off or at you know teasing them into, into going after an underneath route. 
but whatever the case, I mean, on the back end, the safeties were nowhere to be found. They were not where they needed to be found. All right. Um, so the speedy wide receivers were working, but the Ravens were really shutting Chubbs down on Sunday. You know, they did. This is interesting. Chubb had only nine carries for 24 yards, but even more interesting, he had 1,001 yards for the season. And then Owasu took him down for a loss of five on his final carry of the year to drop him to 996. And that has happened a couple of times in NFL history, but it is not a common thing to occur at all. And it's, it's very weird that that would happen. And I, I want to compare and contrast that to something really quickly. In New England, Tom Brady reached 1,000 rushing yards for his entire career. And they show the video of when it occurred. He knew the moment it occurred. He slid down. It was a two- or three-yard gain. He got up. His linemen are patting him on the helmet, and he's getting up, and he clearly has knows that something's happened. He, he, was, he was very aware that he reached 1,000 yards and, and took yes. him 20 years to do it. Anyway, the, the point of that is that Brady then had to kneel out the game. And rather than kneeling out the game in the traditional um, kneel for minus one, they went three forward. times in a row or whatever, he went forward and he tried to, get, he tried to kneel for zero. Right. And so it's just, boy, play well, for stats like that, he deserved to fumble. Uh, well, Chubb, and that's the thing, Chubb knows. He knows that going into this game, he needed 28 yards to get his 1,000-yard season. Mm-hmm. So he knows that. So, yeah, I kind of feel a little for him. But, again, it's against our team, and we want him to shut him down. Right. Chubb's a rookie, and I don't think there's anybody in analytics, and there's probably nobody in terms of fantasy even, who really gives a rat's ass that he that he finished with 996. Chubb's a great young running back. The Ravens, very fortunately, handled him very, very effectively in this game, the way they have handled every other running back these last seven weeks uh, by using the nickel and daring them to run into their – um, uh, you know, limited box and, and, and doing so very effectively. So the, uh, the Ravens uh, got it done, and, and their, their performance against Chubb is one of the points not to be lost from this game. Right, and so we spent a lot of time this season praising Marlon Humphrey. Yesterday he had one of his worst games of his career, but on the opposite side we had Jimmy Smith come out of like retirement basically and, and have a huge game. Big bad news, good news situation. So which do we want to do first, the bad or the good? Uh, let's start with the good. Let's start with Jimmy Smith because there's been a lot of hatred over Jimmy Smith in the years, and it seems like he's finally healthy. Yeah, so healthy. Obviously, he had he, he did have one of the greatest games the Ravens have ever had by a corner. I think you know without question this is the best best game of Jimmy Smith's career uh, in this game. And just to review this, uh, a few of the plays. It's not just the two interceptions, both of which were great ball skills interceptions that the Ravens have really been missing. So they got a tip ball at the line of scrimmage from Mosley. Smith undercut Callaway for the interception. That was a great play. The other one is a tip ball by Young in the secondary. Jimmy Smith on the back end of the bracket of Higgins there picked up that ball, caught it against his helmet, went to the ground, and he's down. And then, you know, obviously the, the receiver knocked it loose after that. But uh, fantastic ball skills interceptions both times by Jimmy Smith. But that wasn't the only thing, because the other thing he did is he used the sideline as a defender like he has done at his best his whole career. And he did it multiple times in this game where Mayfield looked to throw long down that left sideline but really had to put it out of bounds in order to put it out of out of uh, Jimmy Smith's reach. Uh, he, he, had, he funneled the receiver correctly to the sidelines, which means he stays a step in front of him, and then he kind of squeezes towards the sideline, which forces the receiver to have to make a decision either to slow down and reroute himself outside Smith, which means the, the, the route's going to be disrupted, or it means he's got to 
He's got to basically try and become a defender at that point and try and make sure Smith doesn't make the interception. But either way, he's not getting getting a catch out of the deal. So hey, Ike Taylor, that was always his specialty as a uh, a big physical cornerback. And Jimmy Smith's got more speed and, and, and looked better in that respect. Anyway, several times that happened. He really is the guy who shut down Callaway in this game while everybody else, Callaway had some uh, had some plays against just about everybody else in this game. So... Uh, very good game there for for Jimmy Smith, and well, the counter is Jimmy Smith was having such a good game they started to avoid him and started picking on Humphrey. They did. They started picking on Humphrey. Let me, let me toss in one more Jimmy yeah. Smith point. Four drive-ending coverages in this game. Two interceptions. That those yes. are unbelievably good. But two others where he had the drive-ending coverage, and then he also tossed in one of the four PDs on the stand. So fantastic game for Jimmy Smith. Now let's talk about Marlon Humphrey because he did have a lousy day. Name the team's MVP. He gave up on any kind of recognition the day of game. Good good choice, by the way, not just because of what happened in the game, but also it's a team thing, and and he understood. He didn't want to distract from the team. He maybe even talked to the veterans about it in terms of, of what made sense. By, by contrast, Brandon Carr put his charitable work on the scoreboard and didn't mind getting a, getting a highlight for that. Which is fine because the 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 you know part of the value of that is seeing what cars involved with charitably and then maybe someone else who wants to give because of that. So I, I'm right. completely on. I think it was the right you know choice of choices on those okay. two on those two awards. But anyway, Humphrey named the team's MVP and then he had the worst game of his career, frankly, <laughs> right. during that. He surrendered receptions of 38 to Callaway, 21 to Callaway, 42 to Njoku, 11 to Higgins, 14 to Landry. He also was on the back end of a bracket on Landry, which went for 19 yards. Carr was actually on the front end. It was a zone coverage, so kind of hard to see who who maybe should get the get the charge for that. He had two terrible penalties. The first was a defensive holding call that negated the 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 second. I should say it was a defensive holding call that negated the Ravens' only sack. That was the beginning of the fourth quarter. But at the end of the half was the really bad one. Q2, eight seconds left. He lined up offsides. I can't find any positive you know thread to bring out of this but right. he lined up offsides opposite the receiver and that did three things first of all it gave them a free play so whatever the result of the play with if it's a touchdown they could take that instead decline the penalty the second is it guaranteed them one additional play because the half can't end on a defensive foul so with only eight seconds left there's a reasonable chance of an inbounds play running out the clock or a sc- baker scrambling around for a while throwing the ball and having all eight seconds run off the clock particularly with a home clock operator and then the third thing was it gave them five important field goal yards, which shortened the distance from 51 to 46. So all three of those things, horrible. What I will say is Marlon Humphrey made a very fine play on Perriman to knock the ball away down the right sideline. Joseph then fortunately missed the field goal attempt and mm-hmm. all was forgiven for that particular play. But Humphrey's going to need to get up and, and dust himself off after this game and figure out how to make himself great again for the San Diego game because the Ravens need him. Right, everyone has a bad game once in a while, and if your bad game comes on a Ravens victory, then that's perfect. And then that's okay as long as now's the time that you got to step up, watch whatever, watch whatever film it is, and figure it out because now it starts counting for real. There you go. Uh, C.J. Mosley just had a huge game, and I, what what a time for him to have a huge game as he's coming up on this big uh, contract. Yeah, I mean, the contract is, I think CJ's been getting healthy all year. It finally looks like these last few few weeks he's really been playing well. He's done a lot more in terms of coverage the last few weeks. He's been burned less in coverage, and this obviously was a, was a huge play. But he made contributions in other ways as well. 
Um, he, after the play got the third and one, he worked off the penetration from Williams and Weddle to take down Chubb for no gain. That was a big point in the game that stopped a drive uh, late in the first quarter with the game still very much in doubt, obviously, at that point. Uh, he had pressures on several plays, the most key being the blitz through the left C-gap. That was on the very first drive by the Browns. He's the guy who got up, knocked the ball uh, for a PD, and that was collected by uh, Jimmy Smith for the interception uh, that gave the Ravens their first opportunity to, to get the football and, and move down for a field goal. Uh, he had other uh, times where, where he got pressure uh, and forced a quick release, including an incomplete to Callaway uh, and another incomplete uh, where he beat Johnson and, and forced a quick throw. Uh, the other thing he lost, a sack for minus 10 uh, the, on the Humphrey defensive holding we talked about earlier, right. so that was bad. And then, of course, it's just a, a hideous play what he did on that final play that he's able to basically realize that his pass rush isn't going anywhere, reads the quarterback while engaged with the left guard, is it Petonio or Zeitler? One of those two, actually, left guard or right guard he was engaged with and he, he was getting backed up and it was apparent that that either Zeitler or Batonio, whichever one it was, really understood that they needed to keep that lane clear and yet they could not prevent Mosley from doing it. Mosley got his hands up and denied what would have been a season losing play to Landry that would have given them the yardage they needed, the first down they needed to, to kill the Ravens' season. So huge play by Mosley. This was with the AFC North title in a single play. I love that you've now explained that play twice and how C.J. Mosley worked, and his it was his decision-making to put himself there because just listening to the radio a little bit today, I was hearing say, the commentary was saying, well, C.J. Mosley messed up and happened to be in the right place for the ball. That's and, absurd. Right, exactly. And you're saying, no, it's, it's not that he missed his guy. It's it's he saw what was going on and, and outsmarted Mayfield. You, you know, I mean, first of all, Mosley is obviously a little bit sensitive to the crit criticism he's gotten about his coverage this year. And it's really not that Mosley is any worse as a cover guy. He's been hurt a little bit, so maybe a little bit. But the last few weeks, he's, he's been more healthy and he's played better. What I'd say is it's a case of the Ravens' shell in general has been so freaking good this year that opposing quarterbacks have to pick on the linebackers. Right. So they're going after him. When Levine's on the field, you know, you got another great cover guy in there, a guy who's been very effective at shutting the window. So Mosley remains the only guy that, that opposing quarterbacks can really try and beat with a speed, with a cross, with whatever it might be. And, and yeah, sure, it's been a struggle under those circumstances for him to, to you know, have to face these tough coverages. But if you're if you're one of these guys who wants to blame him for the for the long pass on fourth and nine to Tariq Hill because he was the closest man in coverage, right. that's ridiculous. Right, I mean, that's course. just absurd. And so is the you know comments you're telling me about that Mosley is just somehow in the right place at the right time. You know, whoever said that on the radio just doesn't know what the frick they're talking about. So anyway, <laughs> I'm I'm very happy with Mosley. I really do now hope that they re-sign him. I hope they can get can a, come to a reasonable price that doesn't break the Ravens' salary cap, but. I think it'll be uh, it, it would be great to have a, a guy there who can take the signal calling back if Weddle is on his way out, and Mosley would be the obvious choice. Uh, otherwise, it would probably be Jefferson. Right. All right, let's get to the MVPs of the game. I think this is going to be pretty easy for you, as we've already talked about some guys having huge games. So where are you at? So the number three guy is the only tough guy in, in, in my terms. It's Anthony Levine. Uh, the two PDs on that final stand – we ne must never forget what Anthony Levine has done for this team this year in key games. He won the game at Pittsburgh with his play. 
He played great the following week at Cleveland, even though they lost. Two of the greatest consecutive games by a dime. Actually, the two greatest consecutive games by a dime in Ravens history. And then he had this game here where he had uh, two passes defense when the Ravens really needed them. And they were not, neither one was an easy pass defense. He made them both. So he's my number three guy in this game, remarkably. All right. And I already gave away my number three, Don Martindale. Hard to believe that he's a first-year defensive coach. Yeah, great adjustments there by Martindale. Can't say enough about him. My number two guy, and this was a really tough call, but C.J. Mosley gets number two for his variety of contributions. He certainly had the higher leverage interception at the end of the game, uh, but I just I I felt like I couldn't I could have I could have shared one and two possibly, but but Mosley fantastic game, right. definitely got the kill shot and uh, came up with one of the really big plays in Ravens history. Right. Just happened to be in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my number two is my number two. I was debating if I could put this guy on the offense or the defense, but I'm giving it to Sam Cook. He did an outstanding job saving a bad snap for Justin Tucker for one of the field goals. But it is amazing how much we can rely on him in and giving the ball for these punts and just setting the other team back. Yeah, they had, I think they had a 50-yard net punt before that final drive, yeah. and that's a hell of a time to come up with a nice 50-yard net. Uh, right when you need it. Exactly. Where every yard counts, and he's he's doing it every time. So he's my number two. All right. My number one, Jimmy Smith. Again, I think it might be the greatest game ever played by a Ravens cornerback. And uh, it, it certainly belongs in the discussion with Humphrey two weeks ago with the seven PD game Starks had in 1999, uh, with two games by Ladarius Webb, including the 2011 playoffs against Andre Johnson, a two, 2013 game against the Bengals at home. Uh, you know, there are... A handful of games that are among the greatest now and amazingly you've had two in three weeks but the four drive in coverages and the two picks i had to give it to him all right and i am giving mine to ozzy newsome because i don't know if this is going to be the last time we have a chance to do that and we've got to give him some credit as he's going out yeah i i like the tribute to him in the locker room you know in a day of not giving tributes they really found the right time to give Ozzie Newsom a game ball, and Harbaugh made the point that everybody in that locker room was there because Ozzie believed in them, whether it be right. the draft, acquisition, whatever it might have been. Yeah, Ozzie and uh, I'm blanking on the name, Kodak Black, <laughs> two, two guys in there, in there making part of their uh, post-game celebration. Uh, uh, let's, Kodak. <laughs> let's get Kodak Black. Kodak Black, that's uh, Lamar Jackson's friend. Okay. Uh, the, the rapper, if you, if you look at any of the photos that the Ravens put out, it's always it's from yesterday's celebration. It's players, a bunch of players posing with Kodak Black. Gotcha. Okay. So I just learned who he was yesterday. So uh, I learned just now. <laughs> I see that. Uh, let's get to the mailbag. You can get in your questions. Whatever you want to ask Ken about Kodak Black, you can use the hashtag <laughs> film study mailbag. Uh, Let's see. First question up. Why isn't Lamar being considered Offensive Rookie of the Year with a 5-1 and one record? Uh, he clearly posted this before the game yesterday, so a 6-1 and one record as a starter. Um, I, you know, I'm not really sure who else is in there. I guess Nick Chubb would probably be one of the people that they'd consider for this award, and I'm not really for sure rookie, who else. For rookie? Saquon Barkley. Isn't Patrick Mahomes a rookie? No, no, no he's no, a no, second-year no. player. No, so it would be Mayfield. Mayfield, Mayfield I sure. think, would be, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Mayfield would deserve it over yeah. over Lamar, as great as Lamar's been. Right. I mean, it, 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 you know, there's no point about, there's no doubt of that Lamar is way greater than his own individual stats indicate by his ability to loosen up the defense and allow the rest of the team to run wild. 
I mean, there's it, no yeah. question about that. I just have a hard time, you know, putting him ahead of Mayfield or some of the other guys who played the entire season and or almost the entire season played very well. Yes, I totally agree with you. Uh, Jesse gets in. Do you think that all the rotating this year has uh, attributed to less injuries or do you think we've just been lucky on the injury side? You know, that's a really great question. I had not considered it yet. Um, it probably has. I mean, obviously, when you're tired, you're you're. Your body doesn't really work as well. You're probably subject to more stress. I would, but I could very well believe that that's the case. And they've had an incredibly healthy year, particularly in the secondary, where they're rotating a lot at corner. And uh, yeah, put me down for that. All right. Uh, can Mark Andrews be a Zach Ertz type of player for us next year? Okay. Well, part of what Zach Ertz does well is block. I don't think Andrews will ever be that. Uh, you know, ever be one of the elite blocking tight ends in the league, but he's a fantastic flex guy who uh, is an incredible matchup problem no matter where he goes. And he seemed, he and Lamar seem to have the connection right now on the team in terms of him knowing where to be as the play is being extended. And I am loving that fact. All right. The Ravens ran with four tight ends yesterday, and it seemed like they all got the field a little bit. Um, what do you think of the Williams holding call is the question from Spencer Peterson. Okay. First of all, I didn't like the Williams hold, but Hey, I'm probably biased on the situation. That's the way it sometimes goes in terms of tight end play. All the tight ends, all four tight ends got at least 21 snaps. So we had Hurst 21 Bose, uh, sorry, Andrews 27 Williams 30 and Boyle 37. So they used them all. And did that rotation help things? I do like the fact that, that this year the Ravens seem to rotate in three skill position players on almost every single down, which certainly has got to keep you fresher in some ways. I'm not sure that the wide receiver is all that crazy about the reduced snap counts and whatnot, but uh, it is what it is. And, uh, um, you know, they're, they're certainly have been effective offensively uh, with some rotation at tight end. Okay. Mark wants to know, can you give me a reason to believe the secondary had an off day and they'll bounce back from it? Yeah, I think you got to look at the characteristics of the of the other team and and basically give Cleveland their due. They have a hell of a passing offense right now. Mayfield is uh, just got incredible touch. He really is a great touch quarterback. He, he he fires the ball, drives it to a receiver well downfield and, and accurately. Uh, and the, the the Browns have the receivers to make you know four verticals a real threat. And when you can do that, I mean your, your safeties can't really help. If you're if you're wide receivers can consistently outrun your corners. They create all sorts of space on the field that'll create opportunities for Njoku and Landry underneath potentially, but they, the, the Browns have a lot of weapons offensively. And I'm glad to see that as great as those Browns weapons are Martindale and the Ravens figured it out on that final drive to come up with four consecutive plays where they, where they uh, basically said, I dare you and uh, gambled and won. All right. Uh, Minion Hunter, let's close it out with Minion Hunter. He, so he is really focused on this play where Baker Mayfield kind of tossed the ball up as a fake mm -hmm. and wants to know, is this a legal play uh, where, he, where he's passing it to himself and then passing the ball forward? Okay, so let's, let's set a little more background than that. So there was, a, there was a fake jet sweep. It was the very first play in the second half, if I recall correctly, ended up being the 48-yard touchdown pass to... Who was that? Was that Landry, Callaway, whoever it was, the 48-yard the, the pass to begin the second half. So right. anyway, on that play, Jet Sweep uh, uh, came across. 
he tossed the ball in the air and slightly backwards. Okay. Right. And so he, he moved back a yard, got his hands separated, which may be a flag for either a safety or a linebacker to bite on the play a certain way. Right. Then he caught, it looked like caught, Young froze up. Uh, well, that uh, well, that could be. I'll really need to look at the all twenty-two to see if I buy that. And then, and then the the uh, he caught the ball behind the spot where he where he did it, which means it's a it's a backwards play. Uh, I don't think it would have been called anyway. By the way, if he had juggled it to himself forwards a little bit, uh, I don't think it would have been called. And then they would have uh, you know had a uh, there could have been a review of it. It could have been looked at again, but teams are only allowed one forward pass per play. And the play you'll occasionally see, and in fact, it happened in the Super Bowl one year, is a quarterback who throws a pass forward, gets it blocked back into their own hands, and then they try and throw a second pass forward. And right. then that's an illegal forward pass, and that wouldn't have been legal. But anyway, I think as done, it was done legally, and it was done very effectively. And uh, obviously, uh, Young was beaten for the touchdown, whether it was because of the fake or not. Yeah, watch that with the All-22. I was just looking at a replay in slow motion where you see uh, Young is on his guy, and then his guy kind of bursts past him, and Young ha waits half a second and then turns and goes after him, and then it's too late. Uh-oh. So uh, it looks like that play worked. It seems like a scary play to even attempt whenever you take the ball out of a guy's hand like that. Sure. Sure. So, I mean, we, we talked about Jackson a little bit. He's had now fumbles in eight straight games, uh, all eight, all, all seven of his starts. And then he had a fumble in the Pittsburgh game as well. Yeah, I mean, 10 fumbles. Something's got to be done about that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And even if you take out the uh, goal line stance fumble, he had another fumble yesterday as well. So there you go. On the pitch, it could have lost the game. Yeah, that's true. All right, Ken, uh, like you said at the beginning, you just put this article up on uh, Russell Street Report about the playoff schedule mm -hmm. and i imagine is your defense report out yet or it's coming it, out in the morning it sh it, it's it's already been sent in so it should be up there i would think momentarily if it's not up there already awesome. looks like it's there looks like it's now right, up great. there now so go on over to russell street report that way you can go through all these numbers and uh go through the report uh if you listen as you listen along it's probably not bad to have the uh article open to go with it Go with yeah, that, that I would I would appreciate that. And at Film Study Ravens, if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, follow Josh at Josh Soroka. That's and it. Josh, tell us tell us about what yep. else you got uh, going on. Section three thirty six. We will be recording tonight. I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about this game. Talk about uh, whatever's going on with the Orioles. Them hiring some coaches. And hey, uh, five thirty eight just pronounced the Orioles to be the absolute worst team in all of sports for twenty eighteen. I saw so, that. So we're closing out the year. We're going to look back at some of the things that went horribly wrong for the Orioles this year. <laughs> All right. All Sounds right. like a fun time. <laughs>
Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.